And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. I woke up this morning and the jukebox in my head started playing Elvira from the Oak Ridge Boys. And I have no idea why. Hello everyone and welcome. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at SciFiForMe.com. Where you can sign up for our newsletter, if you are so inclined. We are broadcasting live to Odyssey, YouTube, and Facebook. We are not broadcasting live to locals. We tried that. The great locals live stream experiment was a bust for a couple of different reasons. Uh, but you know, we are we are live on the usual places, and that means that you can join the conversation live if you're with us, uh, the chat and the comments. If you're on replay, you can still leave us a comment, or you can send us an email anytime, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. You can suggest topics for us to cover. You can suggest guests for us to invite onto the show. And I read every bit of the emails and the comments and the correspondence and everything so uh, so we do invite you to do that and let me go ahead and throw this handy dandy little list up so you can see all of the different ways that you can connect with us those of you who are listening to this as a podcast the list is in the show notes all the time so you can find us that way but there's our mailing address all of the different places you can find us in the socials and uh, the different video platforms and whatnot. So you can frame grab that if you want a handy reference. And of course, lo- uh, the, the podcast form of this show is available on a number of platforms, including Apple uh, Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify. So you can find us that way as well. And I have no idea, no idea where the Oak Ridge Boys came from. I, I really don't. Big news yesterday, by the way. I don't know if anybody saw this or not. Uh, because, you know, we've got, we've got the Ghislaine Maxwell trial starting yesterday. That's, that's big news for some people. Okay, people are paying attention to that. We've got Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter. That's fairly big news, and we will likely be talking about that next Monday on our Money Talk edition with Matt and Dan. But but it's possible, <coughs> it's very possible that you might have missed the big news yesterday that we're getting a Magic Mike 3. I tell you. Priorities. Our priorities are in order, right? Magic Mike 3, ladies and gentlemen, has been greenlit for someone to enjoy, I guess. <laughs> so uh, so there is that. Anyway, all right. So uh, speaking of the podcast, I want to I give a shout out to some of the people who are listening in various different countries because I see we've got listeners in Canada and Iceland, uh, in the UK, in Germany, in Russia. 
France, uh, France and Spain. Uh, so I want to I want to say uh, thank you to everyone who has been listening to these shows, this show and the H2O podcast and Zompocalypse Now. Our numbers are going up, which is always nice to see. Uh, so uh, those of you who are listening to the podcast, don't forget to share that. Give us a rating. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think about the show. And, of course, you can always uh, send us feedback the usual ways as well. And speaking of that, uh, I, I posted over on Twitter yesterday our goal. We, today is the last day of November. And my goal was, let's hit 1,950 subscribers on our YouTube channel before the end of the month. And we crossed that threshold last night, yesterday evening. So we got to 1,950, and I thought, okay, great, let's see how long it lasts. And sure enough, this morning we're back at 1,949. So we need that one, that one new subscriber to pull us over 1,950. My goal is to have us at 2,000 by the end of the year. So we'll see. We'll see. So, okay. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, the internet lately has been talking about Masters of the Universe Revelation Part 2. And, turn that off there. And it has me looking at other things. Reactions to, say, the Cowboy Bebop live action from from Netflix and the response to that. It just so happens that both of these projects happen to be at Netflix. Uh, and it has me thinking, because I, I, was, I was getting my day started this morning, and I ran across a, a headline. I believe it was on the BBC. And, of course, as I go back to look for it, it's nowhere to be found. So I'm running off of a, of a partial memory here talking about whether or not nostalgia is good for us. Is nostalgia harmful to our entertainment? And, and I think my impression was that nostalgia sometimes is not exactly all it's cracked up to be in terms of what it does for our expectations. And I guess maybe there's a little bit to that. I didn't get a chance to read the article because I got distracted and it disappeared. But it did get me thinking, because we've talked on a number of occasions on several shows about uh, our expectations for remakes and reboots and that kind of thing. And it strikes me, because one of the things that uh, those of us who complain or criticize or critique the new version of the thing that we enjoyed when we were younger... It, it it seems to me that there are people, let's say that they're left-leaning, because this is where I see this more often, basically saying your childhood wasn't ruined because that thing is still there. And that's true. I mean, you have, you know, the original Star Trek still exists. Uh, the original trilogy of Star Wars still exists. You have uh, the original Battlestar Galactica still exists. All of these different things, you know, the classic Doctor Who and whatnot. So, in that sense, yes, that's true. You haven't ruined my childhood by making this new thing. But this new thing is a poor 
counterfeit substitute for the thing. And it's it's one of those uh, points of debate that I think distracts from the point of the debate. It's not necessarily the fact that you've made this new thing. It's you've made this new thing without respecting the old thing. And that, of course, brings up the question of how much nostalgia do you need to have in order to be able to fully appreciate whatever this new version is. And when the thing, what's new, gets rejected or gets criticized, there's always some other reason why it doesn't succeed. Well, you know, you look at the Charlie's Angels reboots and they didn't succeed because of sexism. And the Ghostbusters 2016 didn't succeed because of sexism. And then you look at the success of something like Ghostbusters Afterlife. And as we discussed on uh, H2O last night, Mr. Harvey makes this point uh, a, a number of times, and he's right. Entertainment, television, movies, books, comic books, video games, all of that stuff, is a business, the business of which is to make money. And there are rare occasions where... The person making the thing, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is a good example of this, they know that they need to tread lightly and carefully, and when the fans react negatively, you respond to that, and you do that in such a way that says, yes, we are going to respect our fan base, we're also going to respect the source material. And with Masters of the Universe, Revelation, this new Kevin Smith thing, I have not watched it. Let me let me put that up front. I have not watched it. I don't have any interest in watching it. I didn't watch the original show. I missed it by the age block. It was not it was not on my radar when it came out. Nor have I watched Cowboy Bebop. Now, I do have it on my list that I should go back and watch the anime. But I don't have any any reason to watch the live action, especially given that you've got so many fans of the anime who are saying that the live action is not that good. Okay. But are we judging the new thing fairly? Or is our nostalgia filter inhibiting our ability to appreciate the new thing? Do we set up a block for ourselves and are we prone to automatically reject that new thing because it's new? I don't know if that's the case or not. I don't think that's the case for me a lot of times. I try to judge things on its own merits, whether it's a, you know, a remake or a sequel or whatnot. But you look at the difference in the reception to, between Ghostbusters 2016 Ghostbusters Afterlife. And you have sites like the Mary Sue that want to have it both ways. They love Ghostbusters Afterlife, but Ghostbusters 2016 still failed because of sexism. Did it, though? And yes, it might have made a couple of more million dollars at the box office opening weekend, but... You factor in for inflation, one, also pandemic, two, and 
the word of mouth also has a thing because the the 2016 film which now apparently has probably been erased from canon I guess the 2016 film basically felt to me just from watching the marketing of it because I didn't watch the movie I didn't have any interest in it because I don't care for for uh, what's her name? McCarthy, Melissa McCarthy. I don't think she's funny at all. And Leslie Jones the same way. I'm I'm not into the modern era, current year Saturday Night Live humor. I think it's dumb. But I see the promos for this stuff and I say, well, it just it's just a gender swap remake of the first one. They're not telling anything new. They're not giving me any kind of a new story. They're just flip the genders on it. And it's not about subverting expectations so much, like some people say. But when Sony doubles down and when Paul Feig doubles down that if you reject Ghostbusters 2016 is because you're a sexist, misogynist bigot, well, I don't want to do business with you. Calling people names is not a good marketing ploy. And <coughs> Ghostbusters Afterlife gets the marketing right by hitting the the very specific nostalgia points for us to sit there and go, okay, well, maybe he's got it. Maybe he understands. And, of course, you know, Jason Reitman has an in because he's the son of the guy who directed the first one. So there's that additional layer of gravitas, dare I say, that leads people to give a little bit more trust that this one is going to do what the other one didn't. And, <clears throat> excuse me, you look at the kind of things, the kind of marketing that Netflix has done for Masters of the Universe Revelation and the things that Kevin Smith has been posting online and social media and it's very much in that same, if you don't like it, you're a terrible person vein, rather than, hey, give it a shot, you might like it. There's a very distinct difference between promoting the positive elements of your product, on the one hand, and insulting your potential market and calling them names on the other. One of those is going to work better than the other. And if you've got something that's a remake or if it's an adaptation like Cowboy Bebop is, the nostalgia can be a tool for positive marketing. You sit there and say, this, this feels like the other one. And, and you see the side-by-side -side of the, the title sequence, for example, between the anime and the live action. And just on the surface, because I'm not familiar with Cowboy Bebop, I don't know the show, but I look at it, I look at the, the opening title sequence, and it feels like, to me, first impression that they're trying to get something right. And then the show comes out. And the first reactions 
start to percolate and the social media starts to buzz about it and it's not very good and people don't like the live action adaptation because it doesn't capture the spirit of the anime like everybody was hoping it would so now what do you do well you could blame the sexists who don't like Faye's new costume <clears throat> or you could acknowledge that maybe we didn't quite get it right the dialogue I hear from various different places, different different reviews and, and critiques, the dialogue is lame, cringeworthy, and the focus on certain characters and their sexual orientations, okay, why? Why should that be something that we care about? Because is it part of the original show? If it's not, then why bother? Or does nostalgia set us up? Because, you know, the, the studios are banking on that recognition factor when they make something, they make a new version of something that previously existed. You have a built-in potential audience. You have a built-in potential group of ambassadors, brand ambassadors, who could go out and tell people good things about, about, your, about what you've made. If you do it right. <clears throat> um, Sci-Fi Snipe says the Faye character is so different, completely unlikable in the live action. Uh, it says the Cowboy Bebop titles are basically the same between the two. They, that, that was the impression that I got. Is the, they, did, they did try to get the title sequence at least. But are you saying that the title sequence is the only thing that they got right? Because th that's a possibility too. Uh, Cam says, my, my view, nostalgia is fine, but certainly open for exploitation. And I think that's, that's the thing. We're not... There's a difference between capitalizing on something and exploiting something. And I think in the, in the general sense. Now, exploit in its, in its basic term is you take advantage of something you exploit it you get you get the value out of it but you also have exploitation in in a negative sense where you are uh, cravenly going after all of the all of the value that you can squeeze from it whether you're creating a good uh, a good product or not, you're still trying to exploit the audience that exists for that thing. Now, Paramount did this thing with Sonic the Hedgehog where they could have rejected all of the fan blowback and just left the design of Sonic the way they had it to begin with, but the director put his foot down and said, no, we're going to listen to the fans. And now Sonic the Hedgehog is getting another... Uh, getting a sequel. You have the fans who spoke up 
about Deadpool, and we got a Deadpool movie that harkened back to the actual real Deadpool instead of what we got over at Fox. Snob says, Spike's costume is pretty accurate between the two. Jet has a mechanical left arm in both. All right, so, so the elements are there. I'm going to have to go back and look at the anime in my spare time. Ha ha, such as it is. But then you have, you have these, these creators. Alex Kurtzman, for example. Chris Chipnell. Kevin Smith. And they claim to be fans of the thing, what they're making. And they're counting on you as a fan of the original thing to carry over and to be a fan of the new thing. And I find it really interesting that Netflix continues to get this wrong. Feels like, anyway. Because... It doesn't... No, you're not ruining my childhood by making this thing that's a poor counterfeit copy of the thing. But you are inhibiting my ability to appreciate the new thing in comparison, in connection, in tandem with my appreciation of the original thing. I love Star Trek. I don't love Discovery. I don't love Picard. Picard was garbage. Star Trek Discovery, I I tapped out the first episode because it's not Star Trek. And my, my appreciation for Star Trek has not diminished... Because of Discovery or Picard, my interest in the new material is lower, almost non-existent practically, because of the missteps that have been made by Alex Kurtzman and company, J.J. Abrams and company. I don't have any interest in new Star Trek. That doesn't mean... I'm not still a fan of Star Trek. I am a fan of Star Trek. I love Star Trek. But I love Star Trek as Star Trek. When you change too much for current year considerations, and we know that's what's happening because it's come up in interviews about all of these different franchises... When current year politics, current year social issues, current year dynamics form the basis of the changes that you're going to make, one, you run the risk of pandering to a particular minority group that doesn't care about your product anyway. We've seen that. But also, you're dating your material. You're, you're putting it into a box in terms of the cultural callbacks and it's not going to age well. One of the reasons why Star Trek has lasted so long and why Doctor Who has lasted so long because 
they they address bigger things than just what's going on right there at the time. Yes, you know, you could sit there and say Star Trek was, you know, did an epi- did episodes about Vietnam and did episodes about racism and all these things. And they did. But they told a good story first. And the social commentary was not aligned with any particular political party so much as it was we need to be better humans and here's how we can do that by not looking at race or gender and dealing with merit and we don't do that now and my nostalgia for a thing doesn't mean that I can't appreciate what you're trying to do with that thing. It doesn't mean I'm going to like it. And if I don't like it, it doesn't automatically mean that I'm an ist or a phobe or a whatever. It's a very tricky thing to find that balance between appealing to a new audience because, you know, like anything else, it's like we do here. We've, we've always... We always are looking for opportunities to grow our audience. You know, our audience gets bigger. There's a benefit. One, at some point, the monetization tools become such that we get revenue. The bigger our audience, the bigger our revenue. But also, the bigger our audience, the more people get to appreciate how brilliant I am. Right? But in that sense, you don't change what you do that much in order to appeal to a particular audience because then you start getting into pandering to that audience. And that audience doesn't necessarily care about what you make in the first place. We've seen that how many times? over and over and over again. Yes, you have a very very vocal crowd on, on social media talking about the things, but are they really buying the things they're complaining about? Are they interested in buying the new modern Biggie Wow version of whatever it is that you're, that you're doing? You have to find balance. And nostalgia does play into that because if you get it wrong, people are going to let you know. And if it's too much nostalgia, too much fan service, you run the risk of going the other direction and doing something that's so totally derivative it doesn't offer up anything new and entertaining. That was the worry for Ghostbusters Afterlife, I know, because people are sitting there thinking, well, is it going to be, is it going to be a good story? Please don't screw it up. Please don't screw it up. Please don't screw it up. It's a tough line to walk because you have to, you have to find that mix of appealing to the existing audience who can then turn around and say, go see this thing, go watch this thing, go listen to this thing, go buy this book, go read it. And the new audience who comes in and says, you know, that looks pretty interesting. I think I'll try that. 
that looks that looks like something I might enjoy. I think I'll give it a shot. And if somebody comes in and says, you know, that's not really my cup of tea, your first reaction should be, I'm glad you tried it out. Not, how dare you, you bigot. I'm glad you tried it out. Sorry it's not your cup of tea. Maybe try this over here. You might like it. There's ways to handle criticism and critiques. And the criticism and critiques that are filtered by nostalgia, those need to probably be paid attention to more because you're, ta- you're dealing with people who are already familiar with that thing you're trying to make. Whether it's Star Trek or Doctor Who or Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon or, or Harry Potter or fill in the blank. Cabbage Patch cartoon. I, whatever. If there's an existing fan base, you already have a built-in focus group to figure out if you're going to be doing it right or not. You need to listen to the people who are familiar with the thing you're trying to make. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to, to, to satisfy all of them. Rise of Skywalker. But you at least make a, a, a good faith effort. Maybe. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I've got an envelope here. We're going to do a little quick unboxing right after this. Don't go anywhere. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi everyone, Jason Hunt here inviting you to join us every Saturday for news, science fiction, fantasy, and horror headlines from the week, plus interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for the same. It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse, every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here. Deep beneath world headquarters. Glad to have you all here with us. Cam1138, the owners of these IP have zero interest in what these IP are. They literally don't know or care about it beyond the name and perhaps a symbol. I would say that there's probably some of that going on. Um, I mean, I know that... Uh, Leslie Headland kind of raised some eyebrows a little bit by saying that at least one of her writers in the room for The Acolyte was not a Star Wars fan. Um, but, you know, you you have people uh, like Michael B. Jordan, for example, who is in the process of putting together the new uh, Val Zod Black Superman project. And he has demonstrated uh, a pretty solid knowledge of the source material. So I think I think it's a it's a mixed bag. You've probably got some people, and you know, 
for all that Alex Kurtzman has gotten wrong, at least by some fans' opinion, he says he's a fan of Star Trek. You know, uh, uh, the guy who runs Lower Decks, uh, McClan, McMahon, whoever, Mike. He says he's a fan of Lower Decks. And I hear that Lower Decks second season is much better than the first season. I lasted four episodes on Lower Decks and decided it's not for me. That's not my kind of humor. It's crude. It's juvenile. It's boring. I have not seen Prodigy yet, but I hear good things about it. And it is possible for a fan of something to make the new something and still get it wrong. You know, there are a number of people who have looked at the things that Chris Chibnall has done with Doctor Who, and they draw the conclusion that, yes, he does demonstrate that he's a fan, and he's trying some new things. He might not always get it right. Just because somebody claims to be a fan doesn't mean that they're going to be able to understand what it is that makes that thing work, but at the same time, you don't necessarily... We shouldn't be so quick to say they're not a fan, they don't understand it, or they don't care. Again, you get to that, where's the balance? Where's the, where's the line between these people don't care about the IP and these people are trying something new with the IP that I don't like? Because I think it's a, I think it's a mix of both. I think you have people, I mean... Um, um, who's the other guy? Who's go, who's the one who's going to be running um, Strange New Worlds? Uh, Akiva Goldsman. Some things that he's said makes me think that he's probably got an appreciation for the original Star Trek a little bit more than Alex Kurtzman does. Does it mean that Strange New Worlds is going to get it right? I don't know. Given the track record that Secret Door has, Secret Hideout, whatever his name, his company name is, given their track record, I don't think that Star Trek Strange New Worlds is going to be Star Trek. But it might. Because if you have the right writers, and you have the right showrunner, and you have the right stories, you could pull out a win. Maybe. Um, Cam specifies owners, the corporations, not necessarily everyone who works on it. That's, that's a fair statement to make because again, you get down to this, this idea that it's just a business. It has to make money and AT&T, Warner Media, Time Warner, Discovery, whoever ends up in charge of, of things, CBS, Viacom, Paramount, whatever whatever these companies end up looking like and how much they own and what they want to do with it. At the end of the day, this is a business and they have intellectual property to exploit. And, and I mean that in the business term where we have an asset and this asset must be something that's able to generate revenue for us. And in that sense, you need something that fans will enjoy, but also will attract new fans. And that, apparently, is beyond Alex Kurtzman's ken. So, all right, so let's do an unboxing here. I have an envelope. 
uh, it is sent to us. I'll, I'll go ahead and put this up again that uh, you can see all of our, all of the different ways that you can get a hold of us. Our mailing address is right up there at the top. If you have books you want to uh, send to us for review, uh, or if you want to uh, put something in our tip jar, we got a PayPal account, we got a Subscribestar account, we got our our newsletter there, all of the different socials where you can find us. All right, so let's see what this is. Uh, doing that for the benefit of our audio listeners here. It is not ticking. We have the sheet from the PR company. This is from a PR company. This is from Smith Publicity in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Ethan's stomping grounds. Okay. Hey, and there's, oh, there's swag. There's swag. All right, so let's see here. This is a softbound book. It is called True Terran. The Last Luminian series by S.G. Blaze. And I believe that we were talking to someone about doing an interview. This is The Last Luminian series, book two, uh, by S.G. Blaze. Now, doesn't that, doesn't that cover remind you of that photo that got Gina Carano in trouble over on Instagram a little bit? Those of you who are listening, you uh, won't be able to see that, but uh, you can check out the video. Uh, but doesn't that look a little bit like that that pose that Gina did in the window? <clears throat> okay. True Terran, the last Luminian series. This is an advanced reader's copy. All right, let's look at the, uh, the write-up here. All beginnings come at a price. It says, are you willing to pay it? Uh, get swept up in the thrilling second inst- I guess I should I should do my Randy radio voice for this. <clears throat> uh, this will be also uh, my audition for Shadow Stevens' mental radio show. Get swept up in the thrilling second installment of the breakout award-winning Last Luminian series. Princess Lila finds herself tasked with recruiting the biggest and most dangerous army in the seven galaxies. I can't keep that up. However, the Terran Empire will not cooperate unless Lila earns the blessings of the guardian goddess Laois. No simple task. Follow Lila in this epic adventure in True Terran by S.G. Blaze. Uh, this is out December 7th. And uh, it, I don't know if this is going to go beyond book two. It says here, True Terran is a captivating coming-of-age story with a diverse cast of characters, a powerful female lead, and a beautiful overarching message. You don't have to be perfect to be a hero. Okay. But it got swag. There's swag here. I think this is kind of fun. We got a bookmark that's got uh, some of the cover art on there. Uh, a, it looks like an adhesive sticker to go, I guess. See, now, this is the kind of thing RJ over at Critical Blast would have this, and he'd put it on his laptop next to our sticker. We need to order some more stickers, by the way. <clears throat> and a postcard. I don't know what you would do with this postcard. Maybe maybe put it up on a bulletin board in a, in a break room or something. 
Um, the only thing I don't like about this postcard is the fact that it doesn't have any information about the book. It doesn't even have the author's name anywhere on there. So I look at this, and I have no idea what True Terran is. Is this a game? Is this a TV show? Is this a book? Is this a comic book? Is this a radio play? Is this a stage production? What is this? Is this a fan film? This doesn't tell me anything about what it is. This this is this piece of the marketing right here falls flat. Now, if I've got a bookmark, it says here. Well, it doesn't do it doesn't do it either, but it's a bookmark, so I at least know that I'm in the I'm in the right ballpark if I'm thinking that this is related to a book, because there's a bookmark, right? So we've got some swag. So we'll add that to the review pile. And given that they're saying that this is a coming-of-age story, I'm going to assume that it might be a YA type of story. Uh, it says here, fans of Sarah J. Moss, Lee Bardugo, and Emily Skrutsky won't be able to put down True Terran. I've never heard of any of those authors. So, uh, about the author, S.G. Blaze, inspired by her upbringing in Hungary uh, under Soviet oppression, author S.G. Blaze wants young readers to know they don't have to be perfect to be a hero. <clears throat> a Goodreads reader favorite, over 300 reviews for The Last Luminian and a 4.5 star average, Blaze burst onto the scene to scoop up over a dozen prestigious awards in 2020 is on track to continue the trend in 2021. So there we are. What? Something sounds familiar, Mrs. Boss says. What's the name? The name of the author or the name of the book? The author, S.G. Blaze. B-L-A-I-S-E. It's possible, I mean, it's very likely we've had some emails about it because otherwise how we wouldn't have gotten the book. But All right, so there it is. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says uh, sometimes he uses bookmarks to save his place in video games. Well, whatever floats your boat, I guess, right? Now, it's not a bookmark like you have on your PC bookmark. But, you know. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, programming notes. Next Monday is the first Monday of the month, which means we've got Money Talk with Dan Danford and Matt Stevens coming in. And we have a big pile of stories to wade through and sift and see which ones we're going to be talking about. I'm sure we will address Jack Dorsey's stepping down from Twitter and the subsequent immediate additional censorship that has come into play over there on Twitter. And uh, next Wednesday, speaking of video games, next Wednesday, lawyer Richard Hogue will be our guest. Ryan Gallagher is going to co-host with me that day because we're in gaming. Uh, Richard Hogue is the, uh, is the principal over at Hogue Law. You may have seen him if you were paying attention to Nick Ricada's coverage of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Uh, Richard has done a number of videos covering the legal aspects 
of the Activision Blizzard debacle. Uh, so we're going to catch up with him and discuss what's going on on that front next Wednesday here, live from the bunker. We do invite you to be back here for that. In the meantime, uh, check out any of the rest of the videos we've got. If you're new to the channel, we do invite you to uh, subscribe, have your notifications turned on. And I will leave you with this. Um, Papa, Mau, Mau. And there are four lights. Have a good day, everyone. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.